Hello and welcome to the Qubit Guy podcast, brought to you by Classic, the quantum algorithm design company. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Ivan Ostoyich, partner at McKinsey & Company. Ivan and I talk about what success looks like and how to avoid failure in quantum computing proof-of-concept projects. We also discussed how we know whether 1,000 qubits will be a quantum computing panacea and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know how we did by emailing hello at classic.io. That's hello at classiq.io. Hello, Ivan, and thanks for joining me today. Hello, Yuval. It's a pleasure to be with you. So who are you and what do you do? Who, I, who am I? There are many facets to that question, but let's focus on the professional part. So I'm Ivan. I'm partner in McKinsey. And... Um, I actually hold a great passion for uh, technology-led innovation. So, so we have um, something something within McKinsey that we call Global Technology Council. Um, it's like a think tank where we gather people that are external to McKinsey and some that are internal, um, and we think about future of technologies. Um, and there are 70 people there. So I lead that part operationally, and we have some deep dive groups. One group is, is um, so there is an overall group that is looking at tech trends and how are they changing faces of, of the industries. And then there are some deep dives that are looking in particular technologies. And one is um, dealing with machine learning ops and the other one is um, uh, looking at quantum computing. So I lead all the quantum activities within McKinsey within that um, uh, emerging technology group. And then uh, also, you know, I lead our innovation practice in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and as well, like uh, a large parts of business building practice. So that's uh, a bit more than what you want to know, but actually it's interesting because these technologies will either find its way, like quantum will either find its way as transforming the core business or by companies building new ventures. So that's why I mentioned it. And uh, by training, I have kind of a dual background. I, I, I work a lot with tech companies and you know, they often talk about horizontal vertical. So it's a little bit like me. I have a PhD in life science. So that's my industry vertical that I know the most, although I, I, I serve clients in other industries, but also horizontally actually have um, a master's in technology management and innovation from ETH in Zurich. So um, I, I combine those passions also in my work. And um, quantum, I've been spending now more than three years looking. I, I think it's so disruptive and it holds great promise that we can solve some big problems. So I'm I'm very passionate about it. And we have a large group within McKinsey, maybe, you know, number in, in, in when we started digging, there were kind of tens and tens of people who have a PhD in quantum. So we are, um, uh, I, I got a group of friends that is working with me there that has a very deep technical competencies. Excellent. And do you work primarily with European clients or uh, global clients? I work, I work globally. I work globally, um, but typically it's like, Given that this is a cutting edge technology is the most, at least my own activities, uh, some parts of the Far East, um, uh, Europe, uh, and then and then United States. Um, um, and, you know, what are the hubs and Israel as well. But um, I mean, that's kind of accounted um, as Europe um, also in our division. You mentioned technology driven innovation. Um, do you see quantum as a standalone activity where companies are just engaged in quantum projects, or do you see it as part of a bigger innovation strategy or growth strategy for a company? So I think it, it's a great question. It depends uh, sort of who you are, right? So if you're a tech company, it can be like a standalone uh, 
product in, in sort of a business to business um, uh, uh, terms. Um, so, you know, like either <laughs> manufacturers or hardware or uh, cloud service providers or cloud service plus consulting and so forth. I think if you're an enterprise, it it's rather going to fit somewhere within your business. So it could be like a business model transformation. Let me just take you through kind of um, semi-made up example, but relatively realistic. If you're a lubricant company today that produces all kinds of lubricants, today this is done implicitly by people kind of trying and they have a lot of experience. I think, you know, with quantum, it holds a promise that it could kind of simulate the optimal mix. So you could create like a, like a platform company that just literally simulates that part of the chemical process. And there is then there is some lab automation that produced that and goes into the value chain. So, so, you know, it's still within the core business. It's a bit of a different business model, I could imagine. But um, it could be um, a, 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 like a new venture, and then there are there are there are, company, there are companies where or industries where this will be deeply entrenched within their current business model, and it will dramatically or less dramatically but significantly improve. So take banking. You know, you we all read who are in this quantum field around recent research with um, you know optimizing portfolios. I mean that's core what banks do, and you know if you can improve something few percentage point, it's a huge generation. So they will need to master that activity. Similar, it's within pharmaceuticals or others um, where this, this is kind of um, part of the core of what they do. And then uh, there will be some potential for improvement of operations. I mean, we also read about the use cases like scheduling or logistical optimization. So it's, it's going to depend in which industry you are and where in the value you're value generation chain will, will hit you. And to summarize, for many enterprises, it will go through their core business. For some, this would be either variants of their current business, but more kind of platform driven, or actually genuine new value creation. Think about sustainability and carbon capture. The fact that we might be able to simulate some of the molecules. I mean, in, when we have a bright quantum hardware, not today, that's genuine new businesses. And so, so that's kind of a bit how to think about it. Now we would need to cross different industries versus where the value is being created and then decide what's the optimal path. A lot of companies today are experimenting with quantum. Uh, sometimes it comes from the top, sometimes it comes from engineers who, or scientists who are just interested in starting to do it in their uh, off time. But what does success look like today with a quantum project? Is it uh, just proving that you could do something with quantum that you did with classical? Is it truly a unique advantage? I mean, what does success look like in a quantum project in your eyes today? Yeah, so I mean, to be quite frank, I spent a lot of time um, and that, you know, we want to kind of understand this technology much ahead of the curve. And we tried to map the use cases that companies were experimenting with and so forth. And so far, you know, it was relatively, relatively high, uh, uh, difficult to find the use case where, you know, genuinely quantum hardware. So I'm not talking about quantum inspired. What we create can beat or outperform, um, a, you know, any kind of classical algorithm. And I mean, you well, I follow your publication, you know a lot of and your audience, you know, error correction, etc. So simply hardware is not ready today to produce something uh, that would have superiority in terms of business impact. Maybe there are a few use cases, uh, but um, jury is still out there, you know, um, whether we benchmark. But I think 
just not to overhype where we are. So given where we are and being realistic on the, the, the roadmap of the quantum development, I think the biggest success would be few. Number one, understanding whether quantum has the potential to be completely disruptive to your industry, something like implicit industries where a lot is driven by science and now we can simulate things like in chemistry or actually it'll be enhancement of what you do today. And then understanding, okay, you know, what are kind of most promising use cases and, and getting your heads dirty. I mean, there was a good example of Airbus challenge and Volkswagen has a challenge. I, I, I'm pretty convinced, although I didn't speak directly with these companies that, you know, they're not going into it expecting like big dollars, but they do want to see where is the technology frontier? What can we learn? And you know what um, uh, uh, can we actually, at least you know, on the research level, pr pr produce sufficiently um, uh, realistic algorithms to prove that you know this case will be feasible if the hardware works. So I think with those three, I would say those would be my kind of um, areas to answer your question directly. First, understanding where in my value chain it will hit or create opportunity, and how. Number two, learning with these experiments, where is the frontier? And, and number three, maybe in the research area, kind of proving that some of these algorithms could at least, you know, sort of forward looking theoretically help. I think that's what's realistic to expect given where the hardware is. And then some offshoot, I spoke to many companies was that then they produced like quantum inspired algorithms that were doing um, useful thing and they were quite happy. And I think if you, come in with appropriate expectations, I think you can actually manage your business stakeholders and not overhype the technology and actually drive the steady growth that we are witnessing now. So given that that's your definition of success, it sounds like failure would be just setting expectations that are too high, going to the CTO and saying, give us $200,000 and we're gonna revolutionize the way we do uh, TSP problems or anything like that. And then, of course, because the hardware is not quite there yet, failing relative to these very high expectations. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I, I would say yes, overhyping and promising kind of unrealistic results within a year or, or two, uh, in a way. I, I, think, I think that would be really um, something that would be un, uh, not successful. I think having a strategy, though, would be very good because, you know, some of the hardware players are essentially more or less confident, but there is a probability that they will have hardware earlier, rather earlier than later. And, you know, if there is going to be a limited capacity, it's also a question, how do we almost get engaged now in the project to have like a first seat in the row? And for that, you need a strategy. Do you need the first seat in the row or not? Because if you're going to be disrupted, you rather are there early. If this is enhancement of your business, you have a little bit of a privilege to wait. So that kind of is important. I think the case you described is probably absolute like disaster because you know how these corporates work, the metabolism, you go there, something promise, they do something, they tick the box, it didn't work. And next time somebody is coming with a good idea, maybe technology is more ready. People will say, oh, we tried this, it didn't work, you know? And that memory somehow failures uh, in many corporations, I witnessed it, it, it pertains during time. So I think, I think that's something we should avoid. We should just responsibly position where the technology is, but also what's the promise and then kind of build a strategy. How do we experience it without um, setting expectations too high in a sense of you will get something here and now. On the hardware side, 
a good approximation to the uh, strength of the hardware is the number of qubits because people say, oh, you know, I'll have 100 qubits next year and I'll have 1,000 qubits the year after and a certain number of qubits I can do error correction and I can do this, that, or the other. But obviously no one can simulate what a 1,000 qubit computer is going to look like or is going to be able to do because that's beyond the capabilities of classical computers. How do we know how do you know, how, how, does, how do others know that a thousand qubit computer is really going to be breakthrough in terms of the algorithmic abilities and the business value that it delivers? So I think that's a great, that's a great question. So, so far um, what I've kind of seen is um, actually quite a good research from either smaller companies or actually large tech uh, giants where they focus on a particular problem, let's say some chemistry simulation problem, and they really go in depth, um, you know, mathematically and so forth, explain why quantum computers uh, could solve this and then give some parameters. I mean, there were even some very fundamental papers that are 100 pages long and uh, go into very much detail. So I think, I think there is no way to know <laughs> until we put the whole thing together. But I think this theory, and, and what we know from the theory and how the, 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 the different hardware work and the equations that went into there um, could give us confidence. So it's all about the risking. It's not about being 100% certain. Could give us reasonable confidence that we can de-risk that there is a probability that if hardware work as intended, meaning no faults and so forth, that the algorithm will work. But I think that's the best we can promise. It's the levels of de-risking. It reminds me a little bit to pharmaceutical industry. You know, when you're putting a new drug. At the, in the phase one, there is like a 90% probability that it will not work. And then as you cross certain stages, the probabilities get updated and hence our, our expectations and valuations and everything else. And this kind of on a very abstract level also reminds me. So at the moment we have a theory and it should kind of work. Then we do a little thing in a simulator, we get some as you said, it's not easy to simulate thousand or more qubits, but okay, these results give us next level of confidence. And then there's next level of confidence. So where are we on this de-risking path? It's sort of um, uh, what gives us confidence that this could work, but it's not like 100% guaranteed, as you say. I mean, we won't know until we put everything together. When I speak with companies about what they worry about, uh, what they would like to see. So usually three things come up. One is stronger hardware, okay, we need a thousand qubits or a hundred qubits or whatever number they need. The second is people. We need more trained, qualified people that understand quantum information science that can create algorithms and so on. And the third thing is the software development platforms. How do I create software for a thousand qubit computer? I'm no longer going to be able to manually connect the gates to the qubits and so on. So I have a two-part question there. First. Do you agree? Maybe there's a fourth or fifth one that you think is missing. And the second part, do companies really worry about the software part or is it just our wishful thinking at Classic that that's the case? No, I, I, I think, I mean, you, you know, when you say companies, it's, I mean, there are really few companies that move at scale that they think really, let's say, quantum transformation as they would think, let's say, artificial intelligence, but there are groups within the companies that are thinking about this. And we, we spoke about it. And, and so I think, 
I think there is one more point I would add, which is causing, let's say, a lot of confusion or so uh, in many companies. And that's more or less, I call it strategy, but it's 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 much more than a high level strategy. It's actually which use cases, you know, what's my, are, are where I should start experimenting and so forth. Some get lost really there in a way, you know, uh, where on the value chain this has opportunity and so forth. And what is optimism to devise that? And I recently gave one interview you know, you need something like we called it in, in artificial intelligence, we call it like uh, business translators. So you need people who understand quantum quantum theory or quantum computing sufficiently enough to understand where is this applicable, but then at the same time have sufficient understanding of business to know what business problems they are. And this part is a little bit difficult because, you know, you would need to kind of order cases across your value chain. Let's take pharma. Is it chemistry? Is it imputing missing data based on expectations from the hardware and so forth. So, so that's just, I would add that part on the strat, on the use case roadmap and so forth. Now, I completely agree with you people. We don't have enough and the gap will become probably even bigger. I would agree hardware with some nuance, right? Because I mean, in our tech council, we have representations from very different companies that have different approaches and so forth. There is constant debate. Can we do something within NISC or not? And some people say, Forget about it, nothing useful will come. The others um, you know, say, yeah, we will be able to error correct with software and we will be able to produce something beneficial. And I, I don't want to be a judge of that. It's a debate as you're aware, but I think you know, whether companies want you know, a thousand qubits or more, that's a question. I mean, I think they want a useful hard quantum computer where they can kind of deliver the business problem. Just a bit of nuance there. And then I agree with you with software, because I think even in our predictions, and this happened a few years ago, now you see this kind of in practice, many of the problem, business problems will be solved in some sort of a hybrid sequence. So, you know, I have, let's say, sort of optimization problem. I can solve 70% of equations on using high-performance computer. And then I need some part on quantum computer in order to get coefficient or something like, you know, having somebody who can understand what A needs to be done, translate it into actually lower level of kind of equations and so forth, and then translate it into software workflow that will produce that at scale. I think that's quite uh, actually critical. And I think, you know, we didn't see, also we can learn from artificial intelligence. You know, when, when you had a bunch of data scientists doing sort of, you know, uh, some AI experiments, everybody was impressed kind of, wow, cool, you can do this, but there was no like business impact. And the reason why there was no business impact is because this was not productionized for people at the front lines to use it at scale. So now you have all this wave of develop, uh, machine learning operations, which are really, and I think we can learn from that. I think, I think we can kind of preload that period in quantum. Yes, we need experiments, but I think we will need software learning from this to be able to scale that at, at industrial grade. So, so for these two reasons, because I my prediction will that workflows will be complex and it'll kind of call different libraries and so forth. You need binding tissue of that and which is software. And the second, it's not, all I'm trying to say, is not like, oh, let's throw a little bit of data and do something in R. No, it's going to be more complex. And then the second is, you know, ability to scale gets much more powerful with software. So that's why I think these, three or four components, use case roadmap, when do we do what, when, with appropriately managed expectations, people, hardware, 
useful hardware, whether it's stronger, but definitely useful. And then the, the, the third one is, is the software. I think those are probably the most critical um, elements. So you mentioned quantum ops or the equivalent of machine learning ops or AI ops. Do you worry that uh, quantum computers on the cloud, you know, you need to have an SLA, you need to have good response time, you need to have reliability, or you're saying, no, the, the Amazon and Googles and IBMs of the world will figure it out because they've done it so many times in the classical world. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think here's, here's kind of, um, if I may say something a little bit provocative. So I think they will figure it out. But, for, but for me, this question on the tech side, what really is the business model? It's also not 100% resolved. And it's, the question is, who's the first to get to market? And here's what, what I mean. In certain areas, quantum computing will generate so much more disproportionate value. Take something like sustainability or so. You know, you're literally creating new markets by simulating, let's say, molecules that don't exist today. The question is, do companies want to sell capacity for that or they would want to participate in the value that's being created? And, you know, are we going to have abundant capacity? Because if we have abundant capacity, it's pretty obvious. It's going to go into a cloud and people are going to, you know, many companies will hook on the cloud, have their workflows. And I believe these companies will figure out, you know, how to do it. Because many of the applications, unless kind of real time optimization of, of logistics and supply chain, you know, there was an accident and I need in a second, actually quantum would probably be more powerful than, than standard, but, but, you know, for that, I need response time. That's very fast. Others, you can still live a bit with, you know, like if you need a couple of days to do a simulation and so forth. So, 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 so that's one, but I, I'm just going back to my train of thought. So if we have an abundance capacity, I think they will figure out and things will go at the cloud. If we don't have abundant capacity and we are generating extremely high value in certain industry verticals, we might not even see many of these like uh, quantum computers, at least in the first era, let's say first five years or so, being exposed very broadly into a cloud, if, if you see what I'm trying to say. So, or maybe there'll be a third option where you have a vertical and a, and a horizontal kind of a hybrid strategy. So there'll be certain vertical solution for certain industry and then a cloud for everyone else. That could also be, but I'm not so worried that they won't solve like a, I think, I think the more thing is, by the way, just, sorry, I'm, I'm a bit kind of thinking, uh, speaking as I'm thinking, but there is one thing though that is important. So we analyzed one of the quantum use cases and we realized actually there might've been an uplift in some um, optimization thing, but actually there was a lot of loss on the information transfer between, because it was done in a hybrid sequence between you know, uh, quantum and then the cloud and so forth. So what I'm more worried is this quantum information transfer, you know, because to exploit the full power, we'll need certain information to be exchanged in a certain way and that's another technical bottleneck, let's call it like that, that it's fast enough so that you ripe, you know, the full benefits of, of, of quantum. As we get closer to the end of our discussion today, um, some companies look at quantum as, oh, we're gonna be generating this completely new product or type of service or platform as you described that was not there before. And others say, oh, I'm spending X amount of dollars on high performance computing and maybe with quantum, I'll be able to spend 30% less and get similar results. Uh, if you were a betting person, which one do you think will be more prevalent, the new product or the cost-saving side? 
I think uh, so. I think the cost saving, as you described, I would bet for the new product. You see what I mean? So, so the way you're describing is like less spend on infrastructure cost in a way, because I'm spending so much on AI now, I can do it faster. I'm not sure if that's the the consideration. I think the cost, in a sense of oh, I have this supply chain and now I can cut twenty percent more cost because I have a better scheduling algorithm. That might be for a lot of industries. Um, and we'll publish now one report where we analyze very detailed use cases. That might be for some industries. I still kind of think there is a lot of opportunity, if you ask me, in this upside because a lot of applications are like, uh, you know, small. Uh, what do they call small? Small data built big compute, and that's I'm referring back to chemistry, molecular simulations, and so forth. And there, inevitably, you come more to really opening new areas of application. So, if I'm a betting person, I'm betting in number one. Excellent. Uh, so, Ivan, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your work? Oh, oh so um, I think um, you know, I, the best is if uh, uh, if the people contact me via email. I mean, I'm happy to share. I don't know what's the appropriate um, way. Um, and uh, you know, uh, there is a lot of now reports coming from our side where we are trying to analyze. It's difficult to analyze something that's coming a few years down the road, but. Um, or number of years down the road, but we are trying to analyze impact on different industries and publications. And on many of these, I'm co-author. So that's the other way to find it. You know, McKinsey, like game plan for quantum computing was our intro publication. It was high level, but was just supposed to put the basics for, for executives that read that. And um, that could be the other way. And my email address is my first name, which is I-V-A-N underscore my last name. It's O-S-T-O-J-I-C at McKinsey.com. Very good. Ivan, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope it was interesting. Thank you, you all, for having me. I enjoyed the conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs>